Morning, everyone. Um, getting a few laughs, I don't know why. Um, before I get started, um, yeah, I'm Peter. I'll be giving you the message this morning. Um, and yeah, you have probably noticed something different about me this morning. Um, I'm wearing this, this headset thing that I haven't, haven't worn a mic like this before. But, um, um, but yes, I am wearing an eye patch. And um, it's a little bit unusual. Um, you'd probably start making assumptions about why I'm wearing this eye patch. Um, is it international dressed like a pirate day? Um, probably not. Um, has one of my sons got me in the eye with one of their flying plastic toys? Um, oh, that's likely, um, but no, that's not the reason either. Um, ha- uh, are these lights too bright for me? Maybe. Um, can I re- actually read better if I'm focusing with one eye? Um, I can tell you that's not the case. This is, this is difficult. But um, none of these things are the wa- reason I'm wearing an eye patch this morning. Um, and it's not always helpful to make assumptions about um, things that you see and things that you hear. Um, the real reason I'm wearing this eye patch today is to make a point about context. Um, for many people in society today, the Christian gospel seems as out of context and as irrelevant as me wearing an eye patch during this sermon when I've got two completely functional eyes. Um, These people may have all sorts of reasons for not seeing the relevance of the gospel today. Maybe for them, science has disproven the need for God. Maybe the Bible seems to them as an outdated relic of the past. Maybe they come from a very different cultural context or a language that they've never really had the gospel explained in a way that makes sense to them. Or maybe they see the good news as something that they just don't have time for in their busy life. They've got so many other priorities. The challenge we have as Christians, however, is this. All of us have been commissioned to deliver to these people the good news in a culturally and contextually relevant way. So I'm going to take this off for now, um, and let's pray before we get into our passages today. Dear Lord, thank you that you have given us the gospel. Thank you for the amazing hope it provides. We pray today that you would challenge all of us um, to think with new new hearts and new minds um, about how we are called to deliver the gospel to those communities that we're in, those communities um, that you've given us. Um, to reach out to. We pray that you'll give us courage and conviction to do this. your name, amen. So what does it actually mean to contextualize the good news of the gospel? We have to start here if we actually want to effectively reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. Simply put, contextualizing the good news means to help someone understand the truth of Jesus' message in a way that actually makes sense to them. It does not mean we, act, we modify or twist the truth of the message to fit with a, uh, that, that particular person's set of beliefs, but it does mean that we have to understand the specific community, their culture, their worldview um, that they have and adjust our methods accordingly to convey the truth to them. While we may think that this is only relevant for very different cultures or cultures that are maybe overseas, we cannot forget that contextualizing the good news is just as important here with your friends, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, 
and in whatever circles of influence you're in. As Mandy mentioned in in her talk a couple of weeks ago, there are often many barriers that people face when it comes to accessing Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we all have a duty to work at overcoming these barriers in a humble and loving way. To effectively and authentically do this, we must must actually get to know the cultures and the communities that we exist in. For this, we require to be open. We need to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. We have to always have a humble spirit and get to know whole communities. Jesus is for all people, and we have to really strive to share him to all people in a culturally relevant way. So as we delve into Acts today, around the topic, this topic we're looking at, um, it is actually really fitting to acknowledge that today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is celebrated 50 days after Easter Sunday, and uh, Easter Sunday when Jesus came back to life. Before he returned to heaven, Jesus commissioned his disciples to be witnesses from Jerusalem and then out to the ends of the earth. In Acts 1, he also promised his Holy Spirit. He said he'd come with power to help them actually achieve this. In Acts 2, we see that this promise comes to pass as the Holy Spirit comes, giving the disciples great confidence, allowing them to speak in languages unknown to them. Here we see God miraculously allowing all the people in the crowd gathered for Pentecost from many different nations, tribes and peoples to hear the gospel preached in the context of their own language. As we continue our journey through Acts, we see this theme continued as God uses simple people empowered by the Spirit to spread the gospel. As they follow Jesus' example, we see cultural barriers knocked down and people from very contextually different backgrounds coming together around the gospel. In Acts 3, we see Peter reaching down and healing a crippled beggar, someone who would have otherwise been neglected or sidelined by that culture. This led to the disciples being persecuted, but also to God's glory spreading throughout all of Jerusalem. In Acts 8, we see the gospel continuing to flow out of Jerusalem, with Philip meeting an Ethiopian man, from a very different culture, who is grappling with the scriptures. Philip comes alongside him to to explain it in a way that made sense to him, resulting in him getting baptized. In Acts 10, we see Peter again challenged to step outside his cultural norms. He visits the Roman centurion Cornelius, who was an unclean Gentile. Here God pours out his spirit on, the, the, on these Gentiles and points Peter away from the legalistic law to the reality that God accepts people from all nations. In Acts 9, we even see one of the biggest enemies of the church, Saul, do a complete 180 degrees turn as Jesus meets him personally and makes the gospel real to him. Having experienced this, Paul goes on to be one of the greatest voices for the gospel contextualizing the good news throughout lots of different communities within the Mediterranean. One, of the, one example of this was when he visited the Jews in Pisidian Antioch in Acts 13, 16 to 41. Here he appeals to everything it means to be, that is at the core of being a Jew. He uses their history, their scriptures, 
their prophecies to make it relevant to them how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of this. Contrast this to the time in Athens in Acts 17, 16 to 34, as he speaks to the Greek people, a very different culture. Paul also clearly understood the Gentile cultural context here, appealing to Greek logic and reason, using the altar of the unknown gods, as well as quotes from their own poets as part of his contextually relevant argument. Paul explains some of his rationale behind doing this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. Here it says, Though I am free and belonging to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So, as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Oh, sorry. Uh, so, as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessing. Acts is full of examples of the gospel being made real to people in their own context. We see God work through the persecutions and scatterings of people to stoke the flames of the early Christian church and cause the kingdom to grow in more, into more and more culturally diverse contexts. However, this did not mean that the early church did not have its regular issues that needed working through. Just like today, they were faced with barriers that prevented people from coming to know the good news. And they had to work through, through these, especially as the, the gospel continued to grow into the Gentile world. This brings us to the main passage that we're going to be exploring today in Acts 15. In this chapter, we see a dispute arise in Antioch between Paul and Barnabas and some teachers who have introduced the idea of salvation um, only being conditional on Jewish circumcision. This results in a council being called to discuss this idea at Jerusalem. There was much discussion on this topic, but eventually Peter got up to speak. He passionately defended salvation for the Gentiles by grace alone. In verse 10 and 11, Peter finishes his argument with this. Now then, why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors uh, have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. As he had watched God change the lives of the Gentiles around him, God had also changed Peter's heart. He now understood that the church, as the church grew into the new Gentile cities, cultures and contexts, that it should not be bridled by previous Jewish cultural laws and practices, laws that even the Jews could not fully keep themselves. James, the brother of Jesus, speaking on behalf of the council, sums up their consensus with these words um, in Acts 15 um, from verse uh, 13. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God 
at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The the words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will, will rebuild, and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. Who does these things that they have... Uh, that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat uh, of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in synagogues on every Sabbath." James understands that without losing or compromising the truth of the gospel, we should not make it difficult for people to come to know the good news through unnecessary cultural barriers. He understood from the prophets, including Amos, who he quotes there, that God desires all people, tribes and tongues to seek him, no matter what their diverse backgrounds are. The Gentiles had the freedom to connect with God in their own culturally appropriate way. However, this did not mean that they should completely turn their backs on their Jewish brothers and their traditions. Instead, they were also instructed by James to show love and respect outside of the law to their Jewish brothers by considering what they eat and how they behave. The real question that was being asked at this council was this. Does the church need to be the same everywhere? When the seed of the gospel is planted in different soils, does the plant plant that grows always have to look the same? God has created great diversity in the peoples of this world. And here we learn the good news does not have to be presented in a one-size-fits-all approach. God worked through the disciples and apostles Apostles to reach both the Jews and the Gentiles in culturally appropriate ways. In the same way, he uses us today to reach people with his word. So, are we creating unnecessary barriers to belief through the approaches we take in sharing the gospel? Or are we, like Peter and Paul, willing to change ourselves as God works through us to change the hearts of others. Many of you know that I'm married to an American, my my wife Rebecca, who was up here singing before. Um, But long before we were married, she came to Australia on student exchange to my university in Wagga. Despite sharing language and a few other things, um, Wagga is a very culturally different um, place to her home back in North Carolina. The trip... um, This trip that uh, started many big changes in her life, and in my life too, um, but also opened her eyes to what it was like living in a different cultural context. After we got married, um, we moved to Canberra, and God gifted Rebecca with her ideal job um, as an international exchange coordinator at the University of Canberra. This job not only gave us an opportunity to connect with exchange students coming to Australia from all over the world, but also to launch an international Bible study group in our home. These students had stepped out of their own cultures 
into the Australian university culture. And for many of them, this created a great culture shock. Rebecca had first-hand, had first-hand experience of what it was like um, to go through these sort of culture changes. And through the orientation trips we went on with them, we were able to get to know, know the students from very different backgrounds. Many of these students were missing home, so we opened our home to them in a warm, welcoming environment where we were able to eat meal together each week and look at the Bible. There were students from many nations, America, Finland, Chile, Switzerland, Canada, Jordan, England, Hong Kong, France, and many more. Each, each of those that came shared their culture through cooking meals and their food, and also sharing stories. This created an opportunity where the Christian students could invite their non-Christian friends along in a warm, non-threatening environment to look at the Bible together. Some of these students had never studied the Bible at, at home in their own countries, but were open to trying new things in this new context. This was challenging, as I often needed to present the gospel to groups with very different cultural backgrounds, different abilities in English, um, as well as really varying understandings of Christianity and what it meant. The majority of students grew in their faith, and and there was a few that came to know Jesus for the very first time. Through these relationships, we were able to build a vibrant community where they could find a home away from home. Most of these groups only lasted for six months, but we saw these opportunities as Pentecost moments, where just like the day on that day in Pentecost, when the Spirit visited the disciples, there were many people gathered from different nations together in one place. In our case, it was our home. And we had the opportunity to hear the gospel. They had the opportunity to hear the gospel and were able to return as changed people to their home countries. Over the five-year period God gave us doing this, um, he was able to use Rebecca's experience and passion for exchange to allow us as a couple to essentially equip overseas missionaries without even leaving our home. So what are some lessons we can take away from looking at this passage in Acts 15 and seeing how they let the gospel spread in new ways into new cultures? Firstly, let's look at openness. It is easy to feel critical about new ideas or change, but it is important to recognize that we could, that we could be creating a barrier to others coming to know Christ. In Acts 15... They were clearly grappling with a big issue. However, they were open to how God was working in the situation. It is clear both Peter and James were open to change their very traditional views as they saw God working in the Gentile communities. So, are we also open to changing our approaches to reach people around us with the gospel? Second point we'll look at is discomfort. Now, this is something I struggle with. As a teacher, I'm comfortable in my secondary science classroom, but put me in a kindergarten class, and I'm very much out of my element. The thing about being in your comfort zone, however, is if you're not in your comfort zone, this is actually where you grow best. Discomfort breeds growth. 
No one likes being uncomfortable, but we, can reach, uh, we can't reach into new communities if we don't actually step out of our, our own comfortable worlds. In wrestling with this discomfort, well, in wrestling with this discomfort, and it is a wrestle, we see uh, the Jewish leaders in Acts begin to distinguish between what the core gospel message is and what are just extra cultural trappings. So let me challenge you and myself with this. Are we actually willing to become uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? Thirdly, let's look at humility. Entering a new culture with a posture of humility means you're willing to put your own assumptions aside and take time to listen, take time to learn, ask questions, find ways to be a blessing, and invest in authentic relationships. This speaks volumes, and it's, the way, it's one of the key ways of effectively sharing the good news. When it's done wrong, it can do damage to relationships and hinder the spread of the gospel. But when it's done right, in, in full humility, it sets the scene for the gospel to spread. Finally, we need to remember that, that this is not an individual thing, but it involves whole communities. The Christian message is not meant to isolate people from their own communities. You could imagine what this would have meant for the first Gentile believers if they had to step away from their friends and their family in order to ju- join the new Jewish Christian community. The gospel may start by transforming one person, but it is meant to spread, creating vibrant, faith-filled communities within new cultures and contexts. Have you actually ever stopped to map out the connections you have in your community? We all have multiple connections into so many places. Maybe think about where you could invest in relationships in your communities to make a difference with the gospel. Being open, stepping outside our comfort zones, showing true humility, and investing in whole communities. All these things we find in the person of Jesus. He invites us to follow his example as we share his love in a way that makes sense to people in our neighborhoods as well as across the world. In John 1.14, it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here we see Jesus coming out of heaven and humbly entering our context, knowing how uncomfortable that would be for him. We see Jesus modeling how to contextualize the good news when he meets Pharisees, tax collectors, Romans, Samaritans, large crowds, as well as small groups of disciples, the sick and the well, the old and the young, Jews and Gentiles. So are we actually willing to follow Jesus' example here and step outside our comfort zones to invest in relationships with people different to ourselves? We have many great examples of people in our church that have stepped into very different contexts um, in order to do this here in Australia and overseas. Many of you may know Greg and Rachel Ship, who moved um, with their family to work in West Arnhem Land. 
They are an ordinary family, but have humbly stepped out of their comfort zone so that God can use them in their new community. I ask them to share some of their experiences as they've worked to understand the context of this new culture that they're in. The Indigenous Church in Maningrida has really highlighted to us how much of our experience of Christianity is actually just Western culture. The church here in Maningrida um, is very different to what we've experienced at Mosaic. Um, lots of things. Two things come to mind. The first thing is action songs. So an action song is well, really a dance um, to a, a song with Christian lyrics, where this dance tells the story of that song. This is taken um, directly from their own um, traditions and culture, um, where in their ceremonies they will act out their stories. Um, another thing that comes to mind is the structure of the service. Uh, their service is very impromptu, um, open mic, um, quite different. Whereas we value people by um, valuing their time, we don't take too much of their time. Here, um, they value the person, let that person have their say. And they can take as long as they, they like. Um, and it's open to everyone, and so a service can go for three, four hours if everyone wants to have their say and say something and share their faith journey and share how their life is going. Yeah, so church is very different. Um, the other thing that stands out is the parts of the gospel that people um, identify most with are different as well. So for us, the gospel is usually focused around forgiveness, Whereas for them, it's all about spiritual power. So there's a lot of emphasis on prayer and on the Holy Spirit and on things like Jesus' power over curses and malevolent spirits, which almost doesn't feature at all in our faith in Canberra. Um, the gospel for us is usually quite personal, um, or at least that's the main emphasis. Um, healing personal individual brokenness whereas um, in Maningrida they talk a lot more about corporate brokenness or societal brokenness so um, lots more that we could say but those are just some of the differences that come to mind hmm. yeah I'm pro in our cultural context here I'm you're probably happy that I'm not going to be speaking for three to four hours. Um, but, um, yeah, great example there. Um, but not all contextualised mission needs to be in a faraway community like this. We have examples of this already happening in our local church here. We have busy bees reaching mothers and young families. We have English as a second language, the coach program getting started soon. Um, numerous other ministries happening. But let me ask... Are you personally having an impact for the gospel on your local community? It's easy to look out there and watch it happen, but God wants to use you in his plans. We all have our role to play. We all have our neighborhoods, workplaces, friendships, sporting clubs that God has put us in for a reason. How can we be used to transform these into vibrant faith communities following Christ in their own distinct ways?
Jesus became flesh and blood to come alongside us. He moved into our neighborhood. He invested into our lives. We become the hands and feet of Jesus when we step out of our comfort zones and humbly do the same. Now, I hope wearing this eye patch this morning got you thinking about different contexts, but I also hope it will be a reminder to you this morning to not walk half blind back into the busyness of your life and forget about this message. I hope you take some time to slow down and actively look for opportunities this week to invest in relationships within the context of your communities. In this way, God can use you to humbly and authentically share the good news that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the example we see in Acts of people coming together around your word and your gospel and seeing how that they can move this good news into new communities, how they can overcome barriers and allow your word to spread. We pray, Lord, that this can happen in our community, here in Canberra, in each of our different circles that we we move in. We pray that we are challenged. We pray that we are motivated by your love, that we can reach out and make a difference in the communities that you have given us. We pray this in your mighty name, and we know only through your spirit can we achieve this. In your name, amen.